You're listening to Leading Voices in Healthcare Policy, a podcast brought to you by the Department of Healthcare Policy at Harvard Medical School. I'm Lauren Jett. In department news, Assistant Professor of Healthcare Policy and Medicine, Zuri Song, has received the Society of General Internal Medicine, Milton W. Hemolsky Jr. Faculty Scientific Presentation Award, and the International Society for Pharmacoeconomics and Outcomes Research, Bernie J. O'Brien New Investigator Award. Thanks to an anonymous $2 million donation, the Ruth L. Newhouse Professorship has been made a full professorship. Associate Professor of Healthcare Policy at Nupam Jenna was the inaugural incumbent of this professorship when it was established in 2016. Associate Professor of Healthcare Policy Biostatistics, Sherry Rose, has been awarded the Harvard Medical School Young Mentor Award. Today we're speaking with Dr. Atib Marotra, an Associate Professor of Healthcare Policy, Associate Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School, and hospitalist at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. Thank you, Dr. Marotra, for speaking with us today. Thanks for having me. So recently we've been hearing a lot about telehealth. You'll see commercials about people video chatting with their doctors, and you can schedule different kinds of telehealth appointments through various apps and websites. So what type of appointments would you say have seen the biggest increase in telehealth use? Yeah, I'd say that uh, there are three big bins, which I would see where uh, we've seen the big, uh, largest number of visits, at least with telehealth or telemedicine. The terminology can be a little uh, loose in terms of that. The first is uh, use of telemedicine to see a mental health specialist, psychiatrist, psychologist, social worker. Um, and in particular, in the Medicare population, that's been the predominant use of telemedicine. The other one has been what people have termed, I don't really like the term, but direct-to-consumer telemedicine. And this is the thing you might see ads for. These are things such as companies such as Teladoc, American Well, Doctors on Demand. And through an app or your computer, you'll go online and you will get a you know, visit 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And those are kinds of issues that people address are things like, oh, I'm worried I have sinusitis. I might have this rash. A urinary tract infection are kind of common things that you will see from that. The third area, and maybe what people have seen over the last year or so, where there's been a big, a lot of advertisements, sometimes provocative ads, have been for things such as uh, Get Roman is one company where there'll be things, issues like erectile dysfunction, contraception, uh, acne, hair loss, which are issues where people, there's a couple of drivers, both is the convenience, but also the stigma associated with the so patients may not want to go to their regular doctor for these issues, but they feel much more comfortable going to the internet. And though we don't have great numbers there, there is a sense that the, there's been a substantial growth in the visits to those kinds of uh, companies who are in disadvantaged populations. And often they're discussing rural communities. You live in a community and you need to see a psychiatrist, but there's no psychiatrist for hundreds of miles away. Um, and that has often been what we've thought has been the greatest sell for telehealth and really where I feel it could be the area where people benefit the most. The area that the issue that your question touches upon, which is of some controversy, is that in some forms of telehealth, the most common user are, uh, uh, for example, in direct-to-consumer telemedicine are people who live in big cities, who have plenty of doctors around. 
I won't deny that those people sometimes struggle to get into their doctor. You could live here in Boston where we are, and we have a lot of doctors, but it can still be a pain to get into the doctor. But nonetheless, that is often in some forms of telemedicine, those are where we're seeing the greatest growth and therefore the somewhat the uh, substantial concern because the concern that has been raised is, yeah, all these people are going and getting more care, but is it really improving their health or is this, quote, overuse of health care? If you're doing a telehealth appointment for a physical ailment, you may eventually have to go into a doctor's office, right? Yeah, so it's very, um, how telehealth is deployed is, is all over the map. Um, in some particular s- circumstances, there are telemedicine companies focused on mental health, stroke, other conditions, where the only way you can get care is via telemedicine. So if they, you need to be examined or you need a test, they're going to do a handoff to somebody else. They might be saying, okay, well, you need to, you know, I'm worried about your abdominal pain. You need a CAT scan. You need to go someplace else. And they'll either tell you to get someplace else or they'll help you facilitate that. And so there are plenty of patients whose first stop in the healthcare journey is telehealth and they will go on to someplace else. In other cases, it's the same health system. So For example, let's say the Cleveland Clinic, and you do a telehealth visit, the Cleveland Clinic provider might say to you, well, I think you need to see somebody in person, and we'll get you to a Cleveland Clinic provider. And that's a distinction that's often made between is it purely telehealth, or do they also have a telehealth arm? Uh, Do they also is a combination? And we're still trying to figure out what's the best model, both from an economic perspective and also clinical outcomes, because the theoretical advantage of having it all under one umbrella is that the you know the notes and the tests results etc are freely exchanged among the providers well that's harder um, if they're two separate organizations do most insurance companies cover telehealth appointments and if they don't are there any signs of a shift to cover more of the telehealth appointments yeah so what we're seeing is that um, first the answer is that most insurance companies are for covering some form of telehealth and it is a very confusing landscape for the american public right now in some cases it's a little bit more straightforward like medicare has very clear rules but in many cases it's also like it depends on the state you live in because almost half of states have passed laws mandating coverage. So you could be in Colorado and you have to get coverage for this, but you could be right across the border and not have that coverage. So it gets confusing from that perspective. And the other place that changes is the employer. If you're getting insurance through your employer, your employer decides whether you get telehealth or not. They add introduce it as an added benefit. So it's not the health plan deciding. It's your employer saying, yes, I think we should offer this to our employees. It's interesting, almost 85% of large employers are now offering some form of telehealth to their employees. So it's becoming more and more ubiquitous. So as more people move towards telehealth or get interested in telehealth, is this going to affect the regular in-person health care? Do you think that smaller practices that don't get involved in telehealth might suffer? Yeah, so... um, we are, I would describe it, is still early in our journey of how this technology is going to be incorporated into regular practice. We don't know exactly. And I think it's going to vary quite a bit upon the clinical conditions we're managing. Are we managing patients in an ICU versus telehealth versus a cold? And that's going to depend a little bit about how this all plays out and how it's going to interact with regular care. 
there are a couple of things that I might emphasize is that the greatest growth in many areas of telehealth we're seeing are from private companies. They really, and just in terms of sheer volume. And I think this reflects the fact that when you're doing something, that's all you focus on, you do it pretty well and you get the numbers up. And what we see in a lot of the health systems, they're, they're kind of dabbling, but they're not, in terms of just sheer number of visits, they don't provide that much. And they're trying to figure it out how it's gonna play out. So we don't have a clear cut answer to your question. One thing that I do think it's important to emphasize is that um, telehealth has been promoted as a way to, again, improve access to underserved communities. And while the technology can connect a provider who's hundreds of miles away to a patient in a community, you also have to have the provider's time. And one thing that we have clear in the healthcare system is that you can go to a doctor in a community that has, a, like Boston, that has a lot of doctors, and you can go to a doctor in a rural community where there aren't that many, and they're all very, very, very busy. And so I don't see, at least in the short term and probably not the long term, that all of a sudden someone's going to go out of business because they just don't have enough volume because everyone's getting telehealth. P doctors in this country are very, very busy. And if anything, I think the major concern is not that people are going to uh, not have enough to do. But rather, I think the main concern that is going to be an issue is that we c you have the technology to connect doctors to rural communities, but we don't have any doctors who have enough time to provide that care because they're already so busy in their regular clinics. And so I think that's a major issue that people often don't discuss when we're debating the merits of telehealth. Do you see a future where patients can take some samples at home and then send them into a doctor or a lab uh, for testing so that they can get results without having to leave their home? Yeah, so we are seeing a number of startups that are trying to explore that idea. Maybe just to take a step back, one of the tensions that comes up with telehealth is how much can you really do via a video encounter? And I'll just to be very concrete, one of some of the research that we've done has raised concerns that in many cases, children and adults are being diagnosed with strep pharyngitis and that no one's swabbing the back of the throat. And let's be very clear, to do that on a smartphone or a computer camera, to be able to look effectively at the back of the throat is difficult. You got a screaming kid, you can't really do it that well. Mom is struggling to have the kid there. As well as just a physical exam, just examining the back of the throat is not enough. You need to swab the back of the throat with a rapid strep test. And that has raised concerns that there's overuse of antibiotics and misdiagnosis via this technology. The question is raised for strep throat and for many other conditions where testing is the standard of care in 2019. Can we facilitate that patients get the test at home? And there are a number of startups and other uh, companies that are introducing this. So the model that at least so far we've seen is that you go to your local pharmacy, your CVS, your Walgreens, your Rite Aid. There's just right below the aspirin or something, there's a rapid test at home. You grab that test. And now it's sometimes harder, easier. Sometimes if it's peeing in a cup, it's pretty easy. If it's swabbing your kid's back of the throat, it might be a little harder. But you do so, and a readout comes out saying 438. And you use that readout with a telehealth encounter. So then you go and have a video or some other encounter with a physician. But then you in include that number or the test results. And the thought is, is that combining these simple tests at home with the telehealth encounter is going to lead to higher quality of care. It isn't the norm by any means right now, but it is someplace where we're headed. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really interested to see how telehealth uh, continues to grow and change. Well, thanks so much. So we're really, it's a fun journey to see how telehealth is evolving. That's all for this episode of Leading Voices in Healthcare Policy. From the Department of Healthcare Policy at Harvard Medical School, I'm Lauren Judd. For more of the top news and updates on healthcare policy, visit the HCP website at hcp.hms.harvard.edu and be sure to follow us on Twitter at HMSHCP.